caring for a difficult child is really isolating and a lot of parents struggle with feeling ashamed and alone. Mm -hmm. And they see, you know, everybody sees the highlight reels on Instagram of all the families. Every other family you've ever met is thriving and their kids are well-groomed and well-behaved and And they never do anything wrong. Exactly. Welcome back to Adventure Parenting with Grace. I am Lori Donahue, and this is the Gospel Parenting Podcast, where we will walk with you through the joys of parenting and the most painful challenges so you can rise with courage, practical strategies, and hope to parent with purpose. In your parenting, have you ever had a situation where your child is out of control, and you have no clue what to do. We're starting a podcast series today where our guest is going to give us some real practical tools to help when we just don't know what to do. So today is the first podcast of her series, and she sets a foundation for how to deal with the difficult child. This series is going to give you practical tools, so let's begin. So we're here this morning with Nicole Radin, who has graciously accepted to come and talk to us a little bit. Nicole has some background that is really going to be useful, I think, for a lot of parents. Uh, Nicole has worked in various nonprofits, and she is with us this morning talking about her experience in a nonprofit that had to do with dealing with difficult children. Nicole, can you tell us a little bit about your training and experience in dealing with difficult children? Absolutely. So thanks so much for inviting me. My background in working with kids started, well, I've always had an interest in working with kids. And I actually went to college to get my undergrad. My intention was to become a teacher. But I volunteered for a Royal Family Kids Camp when I was um, a sophomore. And I found a Royal Family Kids Camp, in case you're not familiar, is a ministry that a lot of churches do around the country. That is a one-week camp that's designed to just bless children that have uh, experienced trauma of different types. Mm. And uh, it's a wonderful ministry. And I really found that I had a heart for working with kids uh, that are in challenging circumstances and that have really uh, difficult behaviors. I had an aptitude for it and I had a passion for it. So I went back to school and decided to change my major to human services with an emphasis in at-risk youth, which actually wasn't a real emphasis that the school offered. I met with the dean and created my own curriculum and did independent studies to to study curriculum design for at-risk youth and different intervention methods. That's so Um, wonderful. This comes from genuinely from your heart and that's where mm -hmm. you really find success. And that is wonderful. Yes, thanks. I mean, it was a real moment of clarity for me in that. And I think that it was, I was a new Christian at the time. And I think that the way that Jesus saved us while we were still sinners, I could see that, uh, that transformative love playing a role in kids that are really challenging. Like Mm -hmm. we can, being able to love them and love on them, even when they are acting out of control or whatever the situation may be, can change lives. And I've had the privilege of being able to be um, part of a lot of those stories. So, Oh, Oh, I just love that. That is, that's my heart as well. That you take the love that God gives us and that's what Mm -hmm. we give to our kids. And Mm -hmm. that's, yeah, that's so great. Thank you, Nicole. Thank you for being here. Of course. 
So in your experience, what are some of the reasons that children might have behavioral issues? Where does it come from? Why are some kids compliant and some kids just not? Do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, I would say that generally speaking, the reason for challenging behaviors to be presenting in in a child is one of two kind of big buckets. One, there's some sort of neurodiversity that makes the navigating life more challenging for kids than it seems to for their other typically developing peers. Autism or oppositional defiant disorder or ADHD, different diagnoses and also different undiagnosed but still neurodivergent patterns like having a tendency towards anxiety or having a tendency towards opposition or those types of things or or sensory challenges all of those neurodivergent things that are chemically based right they're they're they have to do with how your brain is wired that can present as behavior challenges and then the other bucket is in some way in a child's life that their needs were not being met so that could look like trauma it could look like any any kind of of ongoing stress in a child's life can can lead to behavior challenges so those are two really broad buckets the reasons for challenging behavior are as unique as kids are you know as is each individual child and often there's an element of both you know mm-hmm. uh, experiencing challenging things in your life does change the way like the physicality of your brain so there's mm-hmm. a lot of hand in hand that goes there and all of those things can present it's not necessarily essential that you know exactly the source of the misbehavior Uh, it is important to investigate what the causes could be because your approach can be different for a child who is highly anxious your approach would be different than a child who is i don't know who has really combative behaviors mm -hmm. so it's important to examine it but i wouldn't get stuck in how can I dial down to why are you the way you are? Mm -hmm. Right. That's a good point. I would imagine if there's an ongoing reaction to something, it might be helpful to know so you can stop whatever is causing that reaction if it's a negative input. So Mm -hmm. that might be the only reason you might really need to to know specifically. Yeah, definitely. And it can help you tailor your your response. So for example, a mom I was talking to, she had a, a difficulty with her daughter who would just panic and have like tantrums when asking to clean up. And it took the mom a while to discover that it was actually anxiety-based and a sense of overwhelm. It wasn't that the child wanted was being disobedient. Mm-hmm. It was that she didn't have the tools to approach what she seemed saw as an overwhelming problem. Right. So it wasn't an obedience issue. It was a tools and, uh, and anxiety issue. So mom changed her approach to more of a teaching and guiding, like how to break a big project into smaller steps so that it was addressed. So the, what was presenting as a misbehavior to an outsider, because she knew her child and ex- investigated a little bit more, was able to address the behavior in a much more productive way. Oh, that's that's wonderful. That's really good. I have listened to you speak before and was really impressed with the approach that you take. And you explained that you have gotten some background in love and logic. How would you describe that? 
a flexible menu of tools for parents mm -hmm. and teachers and caregivers uh, in working with kids. So I think that they self-define it as the love and logic approach. Okay. So it's not necessarily like an you know, ABC system. It's more mm -hmm. of a kind of a comprehensive approach to caring for children. Mm -hmm. That's that's great. I'm glad you defined that. We are both Christians and this podcast is how to approach children with the gospel and grace uh, that God has given us. And so how would you, how would mm -hmm. you line up that approach with our Christian faith? Mm -hmm. Great question. So the love and logic approach is based on two pretty simple rules. Rule one is that adults take care of themselves by providing limits in a loving way. And rule number two is that childhood misbehavior is treated as an opportunity for gaining wisdom. So I find that the creators of the love and logic content, uh, Jim Fay and Foster Klein, are believers. And this really guided their work and their research. They wanted to find the simplest way to parent kids and and love them effectively to grow up to be functioning adults. Uh, so they were believers. It is not necessarily a Christian branded approach, but scripture is woven into their books and is just part of the DNA of what love and logic is. Mm -hmm. um, interestingly, though, it is widely practiced by secular institutions, including public schools. So it's a very effective approach and very malleable in lots of different circumstances. Mm -hmm. The things that stand out to me that really align with the heart of God, in my opinion, is that the love and logic approach really emphasizes the love part. They intentionally put called it love and logic and not logic and love. The love comes first. Mm. There is a huge value placed on empathy, leading your interactions with kids with empathy. And we know like we have a very empathetic God who right. uh, has done the most monumental thing in, in the history of the world. He can empathize with us going so far as to die for us. So mm -hmm. the emphasis on empathy uh, is really biblical, I believe. Mm -hmm. um, it also encompasses a lot of the attributes of the Lord, um, patience, kindness, joy, gentleness, um, love, of course. And I believe it also upholds the dignity of each child as a person created by God, who is mm -hmm. capable of learning from their mistakes, is capable of making choices and dealing with the consequences, right? God could have made a world of robots who blindly followed his will, but he didn't. He made a world of people who have freedom of choice, and we have the mm -hmm. choice to follow him, not follow him, and millions of other choices that we face each day, and that he guides us lovingly through living with the consequences of our choices, yes. um, and love and logic does the same, is, mm -hmm. is based on the same principle, lovingly guiding children to learn from their own choices and the consequences mm -hmm. that come along with them. You just really described that really well. I, Thank you. Every time I talk to you, I gain more wisdom. Oh, thanks, Lori. <laughs> Say back at you. <laughs> okay, we have parents who may well be listening who are at the end of their rope. They just don't know what to do next because their kids are out of control. They don't respond in any way positively toward them, and they're frustrated. Is there hope for them? Mm-hmm. 
Yes, absolutely. I think that one of the things that I always want to emphasize when I work with kids and families that are facing these challenges is that there are no hopeless cases. Mm. For for any believer, especially, we know that God can redeem any situation and transform it. Mm. And even, even in secular society, like God created all people and he is calling them all back to himself. So there's there's no case that is beyond the reach of the Lord. Right. Look at the thief Uh, on the cross. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. There are no hopeless cases. And I have seen even some of the most challenging diagnoses and behavior issues move towards success. Now, success and being able to function successfully could look different for very severe behavioral diagnoses. But tempering our our expectations is is always important. I attended a training on attachment um, theory for foster families uh, Mm. years ago. And attachment disorders are really challenging. And they really are based in the brain and, and a lot of therapy and intensive treatment and love and care and consistency all go into helping a child be able to thrive, even if they have, for example, like a reactive attachment disorder. Those are some of the most challenging cases in terms of behavior modification, in terms of learning how to be a successful adult in society. Mm-hmm. But with the right tools, there are many, many stories of kids that that are able to succeed, even with a diagnosis that might feel devastating at the Mm -hmm. time. Could you give an example of maybe just one? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, one that comes to mind is my, actually a friend of my mom. She adopted two girls from out of the country and both were later diagnosed with reactive attachment disorders. So this was a family that had two kids, both of whom had a very challenging diagnosis. There were a lot of ups and downs because Though they had the same diagnosis, they had wildly different needs, different personalities, and the approach is not a one-size-fits-all. And even in the same household with girls with the same diagnosis, they had to be very individualized. So these parents faced moments of feeling hopeless, feeling like, what have I gotten myself into? I'm not equipped to care for these Mm -hmm. children with this level of need. Mm -hmm. But they also didn't give up on the girls. You know, they, all children need to be loved and feel safe. And those are the basic places to begin. But they also did their best to seek out resources to help their girls. So this, for them, that looked like ongoing therapy sessions, individual and family. It looked like very structured days. And so having predictability and routine, and it looked like ongoing community for the parents to be a part of a supportive community with other parents that are facing similar things. Mm -hmm. And the last I heard, the girls are, well, I think one is still in high school and one is in college, and they are both thriving. I mean, Mm -hmm. their lives are not perfect. They still have big struggles, but they have been able to move forward with the situation that they were given and Mm -hmm. that they are happy and well-adjusted, especially considering the circumstances now. So. That's good. And that makes me think that parents might really long for a solution to their problem and they might hope that something will bring them overnight success. Yeah. 
So we have to make sure that the parents adjust their expectations to small steps, maybe. Would you say that? Absolutely. Definitely. Ongoing behavior challenges in a child can feel very overwhelming and complicated. And it requires a lot for a family to navigate. So setting small goals and trying new things to address the challenges one at a time is, is something that I would recommend. I've spoken with a lot of parents that they want to go from like, I've just been trying to make things meet. I want a curriculum that will show me, okay, starting tomorrow, everything about our lives is different. I am totally structured. I am consistent. I have every element organized and on, and my expectations are clear and a full comprehensive list of rules and consequences and all those things. And that might feel like, okay, that's going to be the solution. But even if you were able to put that together and start a whole new life on Monday, (laughs) the sustainability of something like that is almost guaranteed to fail. It's like a New Year's resolution, right? I'm going (laughs) to exercise every single day. But you're the same person that you were on December 31st, right? And and if that person didn't have the motivation, unless you change something, build up to it, it's not going to be, I'm going to work out for 12 hours every day. So setting small manageable goals is critical in in modifying behavior in in just in general in in behavior theory basic behavior theory is setting small goals and making changes over time. It will be more sustainable for you as the caregiver because you'll also need to adjust and tweak. And if you change too much too fast, you won't know what's working uh-huh. and what is not working, and that can lead to more confusion and hope and hopeless feelings. That's a really good point. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for that. So where do we begin when a parent is saying, where do I start? What would you suggest? A couple of things. So I would say the first step is to really look at the situation that you've been given and choose to accept it fully. You know, there's, Mm. there can be a lot of grieving that's needed if you find yourself in a life situation that's not what you imagined. You know, maybe Mm -hmm. you imagined that you would have two kids and that they, you would raise them in the church and that would equal well-behaved kids (laughs) that thrive at school and sports. And that was what you imagined. And instead you're presented with something much more challenging. Mm -hmm. So the first step before trying to address behavior, I think, is to Take the situation, take the child that you have been given and fully accept the situation for what it is. Be able to acknowledge the reality that you're in and grieve if you need to grieve. Like that's important. It doesn't mean you can't wish that it would have been different. Like that's a natural human thing. We all wish our lives were easy and comfortable. um, And that's rarely the path the Lord has for us. So Mm -hmm. step one, I would say intentionally acknowledge and accept the reality of your life, whatever Mm -hmm. it is. Step two, make sure that you have community as a parent. So again, steps one and two are really about you as the caregiver. Having community is essential. And caring for a difficult child is really isolating. And a lot of parents struggle with feeling ashamed and alone. Mm -hmm. And they see, you know, everybody sees the highlight reels on Instagram of all the families. Every other family you've ever met is thriving and their kids are well-groomed and well-behaved and And they never do anything wrong. Exactly. (laughs) Um, So making sure that you have trusted people in your life that you can be raw and real with and and that can provide you support. So this means like social support, but also 
I would suggest looking for support for other parents or other people that have experience with challenging children, because there's a real sense of community that can come from that. So that could be in through a therapy group locally. It could be through a school. It could be um, an online group. I would be careful about what you what you join because there can be a lot of toxic environments online, but there are a lot of supportive groups that do function online and that can be really Mm life-giving. So, and then third is to select a tool that aligns with your goals. I recommend Love and Logic for kids with any type of need, as well as compliant kids. All kids, I believe, benefit from a Love and Logic approach. So, selecting one tool, even if you select the umbrella of Love and Logic, select one tool to use from within Love and Logic. So they have books, they have webinars, they have free YouTube clips, they have articles, all mm-hmm. of those kinds of things. Don't try to do all of them. Choose one and just yeah. start with that. Yeah. In the show notes, we can leave links to some of those things too. Yes. Yeah. Oh, so that's we'll great. That. Yeah. We'll do that so people can find that easily. That's really good. So we're going to stop there. This gave us an excellent foundation for next week where she will bring practical tools and strategies and so much help for very specific situations. I'm really looking forward to that. So please subscribe so you don't miss that next week. If you want to get a jump on next week, you can go into the show notes and there are links there for the Love and Logic books and you can listen and read up on it so you'll have even a clearer vision of where we're going with this. And don't forget that you can subscribe to our Zoom conversations where we can sort this out a little bit more. So don't forget to come back next week to part two with Nicole Radin. And don't forget to rest in the Lord this week. Mm-hmm.